Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Showing Up to Life podcast and YouTube channel. I have realized just last night, actually, how important it is for me to do an intro. Okay, that's I, I realized there's been something that's been like, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, there's been something difficult about recording these episodes lately in, in a way that hasn't been difficult before, right? Now, I'm not judging it. I'm not, um, you know, comparing it. I'm not anything like that, but I'm feeling it, right? And there's some sort of like weird resistance that's going on. And I've realized last night as I sat with it, and this is what happens when we sit with what's going on without being afraid of it, without needing to change it, without needing to stop it or start it or do whatever to it, just let it be what it is, then we can learn about it, right? Then we can be curious about it and we can see like, okay, what is this thing? What is it all about? What's causing it? What's, what is it affecting? How is it standing in my way? All these questions become very, very evident. You don't even have to ask the questions because just under, just sitting with it leads to the understanding that answers those questions without you even asking them, okay? And so that's what mindfulness is all about, right? So last night, I sat with this feeling like, okay, there's something here about that's going on with this thing. I've been doing it for now, like, I don't know, coming up on three years now. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's, and, and but I, I can't understand the why it is that there's some kind of resistance happening. And last night, it finally dawned on me that it's very awkward coming in here and doing the, hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. You know, that it feels like I have to be the MC every night and then transition into actually delivering a message. And a lot of times that, that transition, you know, I get off the podcast, and I'm like, oh, man, I, that's not exactly what I had hoped it was going to, you know, that I, I could have delivered the message in a, in a more beneficial way. Right. And I can only see that in hindsight. And then what do I do? Re-record and all I don't have time for that, you know. So so I'm letting you know here that this is now the priority. Okay, that I'm going to record an actual intro for this. Okay. So you hear it on the podcast and you'll I don't know what I'll do on the video. I gotta figure this out, but this is now my my next challenge. This is the 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 boundary that I'm I'm pushed up against. So I'm opening this up to y'all, okay? If you have any thoughts, any uh, suggestions, any ideas, any wishes, you know, for what this intro could be, and and certainly if you anybody out there who's listening is involved or knows how to do video editing, um, we need to talk because I don't know how to do any of this. So, um, so I'm I'm telling you that this is something I realize I need. But I sure as heck don't know how to get it, right? So so I'm putting this out there, putting this out there to you all, to the tribe, to see if there's anyone out there who can help your guy. Um, and maybe you know someone who knows somebody. I mean, you know, obviously if there's a cost involved, we'll you know, that's, you know, certainly fair and understandable and everything like that. And no problem there. Uh, you know, assuming that it's not too expensive, you know. <laughs> um but yeah. Anything you got, let me know. And so this actually, ironically, this actually segues really well into what I was going to say. So, yeah, I guess some days the, the intro is, is smoother than others. Um, but I want to talk about a quote that you hear me talk about a lot. 
And uh, for all of you who have joined us in my Wednesday evening um, uh, med- meditation group and discussion, and certainly any of you who have listened to my other podcast that I do with Adam Asdell, you'll know this this quote very well, right? Because the whole podcast and meeting on the other thing is called Learning to Surf, right? And where this comes from is the John Kabat-Zinn quote. Now, just to, in case none of you, maybe some of you new listeners and watchers uh, are not familiar with John Kabat-Zinn, haven't heard me mention him uh, many times, um, <clears throat> John Kabat-Zinn, that's K-A-B-A-T hyphen Z-I-N-N, he's the son of Howard Zinn, who is a very uh, famous um, uh, commentator of American and author of American history and, and culture and political um, science and stuff like that. Um, not really political science, but, but the political culture, I guess you would say. Uh, amazing. You know, he's written a couple of landmark, you know, really, really important books. So so his son, John, um, uh, you know, John Kabat-Zinn in 1979, he he was a medical doctor and, and still is a medical doctor. And, uh, and he... I guess learning mindfulness himself, right? He he became he came to understand how valuable mindfulness practices can be in helping people recover from and reduce stress in their life. Okay, so he created what is now called and what has been called for the last 40 years now, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Clinic. Okay, and at this point, they're all over the world, right? Like literally, I, I think there's not a single state in the U.S. you can't find. I don't know about that. I'm just saying that that, that might not be true, but they, they are very accessible. It started out as one location. Now they're everywhere, okay? And so... Um, so one of the one of the quotes that John Kabat-Zinn has that is just I mean it's just so perfect right is that he he says you can't stop the waves but you can learn to surf right? and I'd like to unpack that with you for a minute here right you can't stop the waves right and what that means that in life you know, and that's what we talk about here in the Showing Up to Life podcast here, right? And YouTube channel is that is that life itself is like being out on that ocean, right? There are moments in our lives where the where the sea is calm and steady and and completely manageable, and even times where we can even relax and we can you know relax into what's happening in life because it's so easy, so flowing. There are other times where there's a little bit more movement to it, but still, like it's it's like we can you know bob with it and we can relax and and again still relax into it, surrender to its flow. Then there are times where the waves get a little bit bigger, a little bit more rough, a little bit more difficult to handle. And then there are some times where those waves are like 50 feet high and you're just this little tiny speck in the middle of it trying to surf. And that's what life is, folks. That's exactly what life is. It is a series of emerging events in our experiences, right? Moment by moment that range in that entirety, right? It ranges from completely effortless to the most overwhelming thing you can imagine and everything in between, right? And if anybody told you that life was going to be otherwise, I'm sorry, but they were mistaken, or they were not honest, whichever one, or maybe both. But the truth is that life is this moment-by-moment experience that was never meant to always be easy, 
right? Nobody ever promised us that it was always going to be easy. Nobody ever, you know, you know, Kristen Neff, I'm reading her, her book now on self-compassion, 10-year-old book here. And she says in the book, and she says this in her talks too, she's like, she's like, okay, show me the contract that says that your life was going to be perfect and that you were going to always be flawless with everything you did. You were never going to make a mistake. You were never going to fail. You were never going to feel down. You are never going to have off days. Show me that contract. I want to see it. I want to see your document that tells you that all of this was going to be true because you must have received a document before and signed it before you came into this world, right? Because that's what you're expecting, right? That's such a, that's such a powerful truth, right? Because we do have that feeling sometimes, right? I mean, maybe more than sometimes, right? We get this feeling that, you know what? My life is supposed to be this way. It's not. It's just not. The only thing your life is supposed to be is, you know, filled with oxygen, right? And, and like, you know, the only thing that's supposed to happen in your life is you breathe in and you breathe out, you eat and you drink. That's, the, that's it, you know, and you reproduce, maybe. <laughs> but, but after that, nothing else is given. Nothing else is guaranteed. Nothing else is supposed to be. And that's what learning to surf is all about, right? Or in the mindfulness sense, right? I mean, learning to surf on the Pacific Ocean is a little different from that, but not all that much different, right? And so the idea is to acknowledge that even though we have this instinctive drive and, and certainly uh, an, an understanding that has been programmed into us too, right? But, but understanding that even though we have this instinctive or programmed drive towards this perfection or towards this idea that we have any, any legitimate claim to perfection, right? Like it's, it's mindfulness is knowing that that is part of the delusion, right? That that is just not true, even though it feels like the most intensely profound truth that we've ever felt, it's not true at all. And so once we recognize that, once we allow for that, then just like a, a, a surfer sitting on the board waiting for that next wave to come, it's like the surfer doesn't like only say, oh, I only want that certain kind of wave, the surfer's going to surf the wave that comes. I mean, yeah, they let some waves go because they're too small. You know, they're waiting for that big one. But you, you, you can't just sit there all day waiting for that perfect wave because the perfect wave doesn't exist. The wave is the wave. The wave is something that's moving and, and it's not even an object. It's a, it's a process, Right? Just like life. Life is not an object. Your life is not an object. Your life is a process. Your mind is a process, right? The universe around you is a process. Everything is in constant motion. Everything is emerging and flowing and developing around you. Just like the waves of the ocean, right? And so, so the objective then right, is not to try to seize onto one particular thing, but instead to allow the process to happen and to allow you to happen along with it, right? You do not shape the process to suit you. You flow with the process. 
you surf the waves. You don't try to stop the waves because that is going to kill you. Instead, you learn to surf the waves. Now, this brings us to a very important point in this conversation, right? Which is kind of like a little hidden meaning in this statement, right? Now, I don't even know if John Kabat-Zinn thought of this before. I should write him a letter or something, right? Because when people are surfing, right, and especially when they're learning to surf, and I think most surfers consider it an always learning process, right? Just like, you know, just like a lot of things that we do in our lives, right? It's never really finished, right? Just like I was saying, everything's a process around this. So is developing skills, right? Like I have this guitar here, you know, I can play well. I can, I can, you know, sing you a couple of times. I'm, I'm not going to sing you a couple of songs, but I could. I could sit around the campfire and, and kind of stay with the music as it's happening, right? But I don't consider myself done. Like, I have plenty more I can learn about this instrument. I have plenty more experience that I can apply to, to how I play that instrument. It's certainly not done. It won't be done until I no longer play, Right? And so I think most surfers look at that too. Like they don't consider themselves done, right? It's a process in which they're always improving, always learning, always practicing, right? So surfing is practice, right? Which is true for riding a bike too, right? I mean, you, you know, sure, you've learned how to ride a bike. You know how to stay upright, right? But can you ride 15 miles? Can you ride 30? Can you ride 45 miles? This is all part of learning, well, part of growing, and technically it's learning. I mean, you got to learn how to pace yourself. You got to learn how to, you know, optimize things and stuff. It's it's part of the process, right? And so, so the idea then, what I'm getting at here, right, is that if we're in the process of learning something, and again, you could look at your life as you're still learning, like you're never going to stop learning about how to live on this earth, right? And if we look at it as a process in which we're learning. And this is very true for surfers, right? Surfers are never, ever, ever afraid or, or disillusioned about wiping out, right? They know that that's part of the process. And again, the wipeouts on the 50-foot waves are going to be a lot harder than the wipeouts on the three-foot waves. But the wipeouts are going to come, right? Sometimes you wipe out on the simplest thing, and you come up laughing like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Other times you wipe out in a life-threatening situation and you come out white as a ghost thanking your lucky stars that you're still alive, right? But the point is that you're never, ever, ever at the point where you say, you know, falling out and, and wiping out is a bad thing because it's not. What it means is that you're learning. It means that you've pushed your boundary. It means that you're getting yourself out of your comfort zone. And that's where you discover things about yourself. That's where you grow. That's where you heal. And so learning to surf is about allowing the failures to happen and not thinking of those failures in the same way that we, we hold everything in mindfulness. We hold the failure in non-judging awareness. We hold the failure in the in the sense that it's just what happened. It's just another wave. It's just another opportunity for me to practice surfing and to improve my skill of surfing so that next time a wave comes, maybe I don't fall. Maybe I don't wipe out. And it's okay either way, right? Because that's what's part of learning. And so, so I say this to encourage you 
to not be afraid of your failures, not be afraid of your fears, not be afraid of the things that make you uncomfortable or embarrassed or ashamed or guilty or feeling foolish, whatever it is. Don't be afraid of it. Okay, because it's part of the process. It's part of you becoming the best you that you can be. And that's all the universe wants from you. That's all anybody ever needs from you. Frankly, it's all that anybody deserves. It's just you to be the best you you can be. And part of becoming that best you you can be includes failure. It includes rough times. It includes big, scary waves. But with training and with practice, you can build a skill to handle even the biggest waves. But again, you're not going to be able to build that skill if you're afraid to fail. I hope that helps you all. I really do. All right. So that's the end of segment one. I'll see you in segment two in just a minute. Back. You see, now this is easy. I don't have to do another intro to this one. <laughs> it feels much smoother. Um so the other, the other topic of the day that I wanted to talk about here is, is sitting with anger, right? And this, and this has everything to do with the last segment of learning to surf, right? Because learning to surf, again, is, is surfing all of it, right? Whether it's the emotions, the, 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 the circumstances, the thoughts, the intrusive thoughts, the physical pain, whatever it is that's going on in your life, surfing it all, right? Which means really sitting with it. Right? It means allowing it to be, allowing it to carry you, allowing yourself to surrender to it, to surrender to flowing with it instead of trying to control it. Right, And so again, the same thing can be said for our anger. And so, or any big emotions that we might be feeling, right? And so I wanted to talk about that because something happened to me the other day that was really... Again, like I said in the last uh, segment here, that, you know, when we can sit with something, we learn about that something. And that's part of the self-awareness, right? And as I've told you many times before, all of this work is all about deepening our self-awareness because the deeper, once we get to a point deep, 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 deep in there, we understand the source of our suffering. And once we understand the source of our suffering, we can very easily change and, 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 and alter and, and let go and accept and do all the things that end our suffering. Okay. That's what this is all about here, folks. Okay. So the other day I had a, a moment where anger was very, very present for me. Now understand something. And this is, you know, in my quest here, I've been learning a lot about uh, my own trauma, about how trauma works, about how CPTSD works. I did a, an episode on this a while ago, but I know I said yesterday, I think a new one is in order because I think there's a lot that I could help you to understand because I think a lot of us, a lot more of us than we realize are suffering from things like CPTSD. Okay. And, and I, you know, unfortunately it's not yet in the, uh, diagnostic statistic manual for, uh, therapy of, you know, that therapists and psychologists and counselors, they have this big book that they look up your symptoms and come up with a diagnosis. CPTSD still isn't in there, which is kind of really, uh, there's an uproar in the scientific community about this, just so you know, okay, it really should be in there. Okay. But, but the more I'm learning about my own CPTSD, right. 
and childhood trauma that caused it, right? But but specifically, and this is true of of CPTSD coming from childhood trauma, abuse, is that anger management is re- or, or not anger management, anger expression is very very difficult for people who have experienced childhood trauma or childhood abuse. Let's call it what it is, right? And so. So what that means, right, or, or the reason for that, and I think I mentioned this yesterday, but I'm not sure. Apologies if I'm repeating myself, but, but you know, but when, we, um, when we're growing up, right, with abusive caregivers or caregiver, right, you know, that caregiver is supposed to be that person who is everything to us, right? That's who we are learning how to live by, Right? Like we're literally learning everything we know about the world through this person who is our caregiver, right? And this is for the first like eight years of your life, right? Although five, you know, four or five, six years in, you know, you start getting some of this information from other people like teachers and coaches and friends and friends, parents and all that kind of stuff. But for the first few years, it's all about this one person. Right. And so this one person is the most important thing in the universe for a young child. Right. So, so when that one person becomes abusive to the child, right, the child is unable to see that person as wrong or bad. And this is very, very serious. Like, like the, the child will literally lose his or her sanity if they, they try to see this person in, as something that is not good and not out for their best interest and not somebody that they can trust. Right. Literally, they cannot. They, it will be a psychic break that will that will debilitate them. That will literally cause them insanity. So we defend against that. Right. Our, our mind will not let that happen. Right. We have a, a very ancient dis- defense mechanism against that. Right. And so so what is the, the or let me put it this way. The way that we do that. Is that we. You know, because we can't see that person as bad or wrong or flawed, we see ourselves as bad and wrong and flawed, right? So we're taking a very diminutive role here, right? We're, we're relinquishing any of our needs and really just about being safe, right? And, and, and understanding like, oh my gosh, I'm so flawed. I'm just lucky that this person still loves me and I deserve all the beating. I deserve all the hurt, right? And the reason I bring this up is because now this translates into the next aspect that I really wanted to get into, which is anger expression, right? If I already feel like this diminutive person, right? Already I'm not allowed, I'm, I'm feeling like I don't have the right to express my anger, Right? And in an abusive relationship, the abuser is not going to tolerate my anger, right? They're going to shut that down real quick, right? Like you get smacked extra hard for giving lip back, right? But the reality is that anger is part of life, right? It is, it is every much necessary, every bit as necessary as any other emotion you might be feeling at any given time. It is as valuable and necessary and helpful as any other emotion, right? But that one specifically is one that no, 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 you're not allowed to be. And, and this goes beyond even childhood abuse, right? Even children who are not abused, you know, go through this period, go through this sort of conditioning that, that 
expressing your anger is not okay. You need to be polite. You need to be, you know, quiet. You need to be well behaved, right? Anger is not behaved. Anger is out of control. There's a reason why it's out of control. It's meant to be. That's the way it works. And so when we diminish that anger, when we tell children, or when we are told as children that we're not allowed to express that anger, well, the anger is going to happen anyway. And where is it going, right? And that's where I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I did talk about this yesterday with Dr. Mate, right, where he spent years in the palliative care ward, and every single person in there had difficulties expressing their anger, right? And so one of the things that I learned about myself just a couple of days ago, as I allowed the anger to exist, right? I didn't say, all right, I got to go take a walk. I got to calm myself down. I got to somehow alter myself so that I'm not doing this anger thing, right? I, I literally just let it be there. And it was really, really uncomfortable. I mean, so uncomfortable. It was like painful, right? But I let it sit there. I didn't try to change it. I didn't try to move it. I didn't try to relieve it. I didn't try to break it down into something that it's not. I just allowed it to be exactly what it was. And what I realized was how crappy it feels. I, I was like, this, is, this has to be among the most uncomfortable things that I can feel, right? And now, again, it's not about running away from it, right? But it is about understanding that, you know, in the self-awareness and in the compassionate self-awareness that I've cultivated through practice, I see that, yeah, it feels really crappy. And I also see that I am in this space of anger a lot more than I really need to be, right? Like, like all the things that I get angry about are not worth feeling this way over, right? Like that's the problem. And that's where I recognize and the things connect there that, yeah, that's a trauma response that I have right? My anger outbursts are a result of never having the opportunity to learn how to process my anger, right? And in addition, it's, it's informed by a lot of the other areas of trauma, right? Which is, you know, helplessness and, and, and resentment for everything that's gone on, um, you know, re revisiting the, the situations with, you know, uh, you know, random intrusive thoughts or reminders, right. Of, of being beaten, you know, that's, you know, you're going to feel anger from that. Right. And somebody who does not not how to, somebody who does not know how to process and express their anger, the anger is just going to, it's going to explode. And I'm going to yell at one of my kids or something like that. Right. With nothing to do with any of it. Right. And so, and so that's where sitting with it and discovering and then realizing that, yeah, this feels really horrible, and it also feels unnecessary. And so if I can see how unnecessary it is, and also see how much it is automatically driven by my trauma response, well, now I'm no longer in it, right? Now it's not my anger anymore. It's just this anger out there. And something else really important came to me in this understanding here, right? And again, this is what self-awareness is all about. It's about discovering about yourself because I can't tell you what anger feels like to you. You can't tell me what anger feels like to me. You can't even really tell me what anger feels like to you, like not in a way that I could truly really understand it, right? Like I, I'll translate the words that you use into what I feel, 
But unless I can get into your you know, consciousness, there's no way for me to understand what anger feels like to you, right? So it's a deeply personal thing, right? An individual thing, an internal thing. And so when I, when I was allowed myself to be with the anger, something really important, a discovery came up was that this anger feels, it's familiar, right? It's familiar because I do get angry a lot, but there's no, there's another feeling that I have that's just like this feeling. And you know what that feeling was? Caffeine. I realized that there are times where I get to a certain point, if I have that extra cup of tea, because I'm a little extra tired, I just go for it. And I have that, even though it's three o'clock in the afternoon, I have that cup of tea. This is the feeling of my body two hours later. This exact feeling in my body is the same thing that I feel when I get over-caffeinated. And that causes a very deep confusion in my interoception, right? The ability of me, my, my ability to sense into what's happening in my body becomes very confusing because this thing that feels like anger is actually just, just a chemical, it's just a chemical, you know, which is what anger is too, right? But, but you know, so, so once I realized that, now I can also realize that in many ways, my brain is confused, right? So my, you know, the, the part of my brain that responds to what might be making me angry, right? And the way it responds is thoughts and, and saying, okay, we got to be careful, like, you know, flood with a bunch of negative thoughts that we get safe and we get careful, right? And so that's what's happening to me all the time. It's being driven by a chemical reaction that I'm purposely taking. <laughs> and that's what we get to do. We get to laugh at it once we hold it in this compassionate awareness. So be careful out there. If you tend towards anger and if, if these... If these episodes are resonating with you, then chances are you do tend towards anger as a result of what happened to you as a child, not your fault. It's not something wrong with you. It's something that happened to you. And, you know, so you probably, you might be, you know, more susceptible to anger that way. So I offer you the understanding that watch your caffeine intake because in a way the caffeine is going to create the anger. And that's not, you don't need that. All right, folks, hope you enjoyed this. Hope you enjoyed the first segment. I'll be back again tomorrow. I wish you well. Take care.